0: Hello everyone, welcome to Intergalactic Crack, the ARMA Observatory and Planetarium's stellar podcast. Uh, My name is Heather and I'm joined today with my colleague Courtney. Um, And well, first of all, I just want to welcome you back and um I'm just gonna remind you all in case you'd forgotten since the first episode just who we are the Arma Observatory and Planetarium has been around since uh, the observatory 1790 the planetarium uh, 1968 and for any international listeners Armagh is in Northern Ireland um so yeah I just I can't believe it's our second episode already. What about you, Courtney?
1: Yeah um the first episode went really well. Um seem to get a lot of positive feedback from people just in case anyone's thinking about leaving us any comments or suggestions feel free to do so um on our social media or send us an email if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover um we would love to hear from you and you know build the podcast alongside our listeners um but we do have a very special topic today it's a question we get asked we get asked about this topic a lot in our line of work um Mm -hmm. so Heather what is it
0: um, well, today we're talking all things asteroids, and this is for uh, the International Asteroid Day. Um, surprisingly, there's an international day for that, and we thought for this episode that we would bring in an expert. So I would like to introduce you all to our friend, our colleague, Dr. Rock. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yes. Hi, both of you here. Um, I'm Rock. I'm just finished with my PhD in on comets, as it happens, which is quite close to asteroids. Uh, here at our observatory planetarium, and also joint with the University College London. Um, and I'm very excited to talk about this. I don't have the first question. Do you know, I mean, presumably you know, why it's the 30th of June that's the asteroid day?
0: I think I know why it's the 30th of June. Can I, can I hazard my guess and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong? Sure, go ahead. Okay, I think uh, it's the 30th of June because in 1908, there was something called the Tunguska event.
2: That is exactly it, yes, yes.
0: Yes! <laughs> what was that? Yeah, what was that?
2: Well, the Tenguska event was essentially um, the biggest asteroid impact in the last couple hundred years, at least, um, or actually the object impact. Um, essentially, it happened in 1908, so 112 years ago, um, on 30th of June, in the middle of well, in Tunguska, which is a region in central Siberia. And essentially, there was a giant explosion which was heard a long way away. There was 2,000 square kilometers of trees flattened. That's um, 770 um, square miles. Um, and um, it was just very peculiar. There was basically no one there, so no one actually saw the thing happen in person um, because it's the middle of Siberia. Uh, and there are, however things that we saw from elsewhere or and later on expedition to get there so we, there was the sonic boom that uh, went quite far uh, and, and actually i spotted so i was pretty sure we had something on that in our of course um our observatory weather records on the um from the first to fourth of july so a couple of days after the event mm-hmm. we have nocturnal glow under remarks here and then later on sort of someone added that you can see it's a different different handwriting or later on results of great siberian meteor exclamation point and then a source for um, a paper on that
0: oh wow yes. i mean well that just highlights you know how old our observatory is we started recording the weather continuously since uh, 1795 that's that's really incredible that we have that in our archives and you know what we could probably do an episode alone about what we have because i know rock you do you take the weather reading so you're part of the history but um that's
1: that's really interesting to know that we we have that um it's interesting to know that that's why we have um asteroid day today Yes, Yes. so that's good to know and just um to clear up for anyone listening at home rock your name is rock and you study comets which are space rocks i just want to make sure everyone heard that we're not calling him dr rock for like to make it funny like just your name and you went into yeah. that field of work mm-hmm. that is correct
2: that is correct
0: i know a lesser known fact about our dr rock as well oh he used to study geology oh what am- i know
2: <laughs> so, yes yes yeah. the earth science department was very sad to see a rock leave it uh, they, they said it hadn't <laughs> happened before uh,
1: i would say so but i'm glad that we have you now mm-hmm Definitely. So
0: um, well, we have a string of questions that we would like to ask you Rock. Um, Is it okay if we get started, get cracking?
1: Okay, so um, I have the first question here and it's a question that we get an awful lot um, from the public. Um, What is the difference between an asteroid, a comet and a meteorite?
2: Right, yes. I mean, this is sort of a subset of the question, because, of course, there's also the meteoroid, meteor, and meteorite, which is its own little subtopic. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I actually get that out of the way. So um, a meteorite is just any sort of piece of rock that landed on Earth from space. And that is the final stage of the meteoroid, meteor, meteorite. So a meteoroid would be a little object out in space. Um, and I'll get to how that is different from asteroids in just a second. Then meteor is what you usually see in the night sky, and usually all you see is the sort of a glowing tail, and that, that's the end of it. But sometimes if it's large enough, you get pieces of it on the ground, and that's a meteorite. Okay, so this is all in relation to Earth essentially, except for meteoroid, which is just a tiny thing out in space. And sort of the the distinction between meteoroid now and asteroid is kind of arbitrary. Basically, meteoroid is anything that's smaller than one meter in space. Um, which would include a lot of little debris from asteroid collisions or also lots of uh, cometary dust. Um, and asteroids is anything that's larger than one meter and is not a comet, essentially. Um, and the difference between asteroids and comets now, those are the sort of two of the main types of objects that we call small solar system bodies, which is not a very inspired um, name, I suppose, but it does describe <laughs> what it is. So the asteroids essentially will have formed closer into the sun uh, they will have um, mostly rocky material. They won't have as many ices or other sort of things that might, um, in the vicinity of the sun, turn into uh, gases by sublimation, whereas comets sort of formed rather further out and retain some of those ices, including water ice, uh, carbon dioxide ice, those sorts of things, which is why I'm saying ices as plural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, that would be the distinction. There, There is a bit of a gray area in between. You can get things that are, Kind of like asteroids and kind of like comets, um, but that's the, the, the basic. Oh,
0: okay. Um, so you touched upon sort of what asteroids are made of, like. So, can you tell me exactly what an asteroid is made of, like what's inside it?
2: Well, yes, that will depend on the type of asteroids, um, which is not actually often discussed, I suppose, in the in the general. A public sphere because the namings of the types are quite boring. There's type F, type S, type C. You know that's, that's again not We're very. We're a highly inspired. creative
0: bunch, aren't we? I,
2: I know, I know, I know. Sometimes we are, but not not, not <laughs> um, And essentially, that would tell you something about the origin of the asteroid. So, uh, when the asteroid belt, where most of the asteroids in our know, solar system live, uh, was forming, um, it was actually forming sort of planetesimals. So, you know, little sub-planets. Uh, but then eventually Jupiter grew so large that it either ejected a lot of the material out of the solar system via its rotational interactions or kind of um, helped break apart the pieces that were still there. Um, so we kind of have a missing planet almost, even though actually the mass in the current asteroid belt is very small. You wouldn't get a real proper sized planet out of that. Um, but there are sort of, you know, millions of objects in it and some of them will be for example uh, iron nickel meteorites you would see that would be sort of analogues to the uh, core of the earth which is why i'm saying oh maybe it was a planetesimal that broke apart because then that's how you get separation of layers because kind of in the solar system as a general picture you just have everything mixed up together um, all sort of primordial materials as we call it so materials that were here at the very beginning uh, when the solar system was being formed most of the hydrogen helium came went into the sun but sort of other stuff just floated around a bit and that includes still a bit of hydrogen and helium, um, but also things like carbon, oxygen, iron, you know, um, all sorts of elements. And usually you just get a mix of everything. So a comet, for example, would actually be usually a mix of everything you would get from sort of silicate particles to uh, carbon-rich um, molecules and, and layers to also, as I said, weird ices and also normal ices like water ice. Um, but if you actually have a large enough mass, you will differentiate into layers and just like the earth has its layers inside. And then if you then break that thing apart, you maybe have those layers, you know, bits of those layers you, that you can find. So iron nickel meteorite thats a rather long explanation, apologies, um, would come from a potential core of an early protoplanet. Then you might have a chondrites, which are kind of the mixture of everything that I was just talking about. Um, and there's sort of, Various other types, but those two are carbonaceous chondrites, actually, we usually call them. Uh, the carbonaceous chondrites and their nickel uh, meteorites are the most famous ones, let's put it that way. But there's, there's lots of sub distinctions there. And actually, there's also a distinction of how asteroids are structured. So a lot of them are what we call rubble piles, which means they're just made of little bits which stick together basically only from because of gravity. And if, you know, if you got that asteroid and put it down on Earth, it would just collapse into a pile of rubble. That's hence the name. Uh, Whereas others are uh, sort of solid, more, you know, actual pieces of rock more than um, loose collections of material.
0: And just, am I right in saying, just you were talking about the the different types there, we actually have in our planetarium uh, an iron-nickel meteorite. It's the biggest meteorite in Ireland. And we also have a great example of a chondrite, which would be the the Vividi meteorite, which fell in Northern Ireland in
1: 1969. Excellent. Well, you kind of already touched on this, but how do asteroids form in space or how did they form in space?
2: Yes, yes, I kind of answered that in the previous question, I suppose. Yes, because it's, I suppose, as is often the way these things are kind of connected. So you, if you want to know about what they're made of, you need to know why they're made of that and that will come to how they formed, yes. So, yes, I'll just a brief... Overview, rather than potentially slightly more uh, rambling answer that was earlier. When the solar system was being created, um, it's sort of the material sort of collapsed in. Uh, a lot of it went into the sun, um, which is mainly hydrogen helium, but also other trace materials. Uh, and the rest of it uh, turned into a disk, which is kind of a natural property of of spinny things. They will turn into a disk, which is also why Saturn has rings, by the way. Um, is that
1: the official term, spinny things? Spinny things? <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Uh, things with angular momentum, I think we, we'd, we'd probably say. Uh, so they will form into a disk and in, inside that disk you will start forming various things from planets to comets and in the region, as I said, mainly between what is today Mars and Jupiter, you will be forming um, just lots of little pieces. they're really there little pieces formed elsewhere as well, but mostly they will end up in a planet. However, in that region, because of the gravitational influence of Jupiter, um, you will not form another planet, uh, but you will instead have these sort of just loose bits of um, rock flying around.
0: Excellent. Uh, Well, that's definitely, that's a lot of information. But like asteroids, they really are fascinating. But um, I mean, Courtney will be able to collaborate with me on this next question, because we get this all the time. In the planetarium, and it's something everyone wants to know. You often see it in the media. Will a large asteroid ever hit the Earth again?
2: So the short answer to that is yes, because kind of statistically speaking, I mean, Earth has been here for a long time; it'll be here for a long time still. And at some point, there will be a what we might call a dangerous impact. As we said, 112 years ago, we had the Tunguska event, which raised uh, you know, millions of trees in that 2000 square kilometer area if that 2000 square kilometer area happened to be you know moscow if you're still in russia or in london um then there wouldn't be a moscow or london anymore so that was actually already pretty bad um but we do not expect anything like that to happen in Uh, The foreseeable future, I I can't give you the exact cutoff date until we're confident, but, you know, basically no one has to worry about it. It's, it's, you know, 100 years, 200 years, unless it's some really strange uh, thing happening, we would know what's going on already. And even we can also predict some of the strange orbital interactions between between objects. Um, So... Yes, w- there was there was one um, we thought might pass rather close in twenty twenty nine. It's called Apophis, which is ca- kind of appropriate because it's um, you know god of the underworld in Egyptian mythology. Um, but it will pass within thirty thousand kilometers of the Earth, so that's quite close as far as it goes on the on the um, scale of the. planet and the solar system Mm -hmm. but it's it's still a safe distance i will say on the other hand so i was talking here about the big impacts that might actually affect our lives on the smaller impacts well they happen all the time so earth just plows through material every day uh, Mm -hmm. and every night at night we might actually see that but also every day um and actually adds you know millions of tons of material to the earth on, um, on that basis um but it's really, really small things. So most of this would be, well, they would be meteoroids, so that the small objects, more than one meter, and some of them will come from asteroids or asteroid impacts or something like that. A lot of them will come from comets. So as comets have their tails, some of that is dust tail, and some of that dust will just go into the solar system, either stay, stay in its track, and we might go through that track, or sort of spread around slowly and just occasionally hit us. Um, but those are really, really small pieces, you know, from micrometers up to a meter and even a meter-sized object out in space by the time it gets down to the ground. Well, it probably won't get down to the ground, that's, that's kind of the whole point, because it will burn up in the atmosphere because it's so very fast, there's so much friction then in the atmosphere. It'll just burn up and make a very nice fireball, um, but very unlikely to hit anyone. Um, Good
1: news then for everyone. You can rest assured. People are on the case, making sure there isn't anything coming towards us, and the stuff that is coming towards us is teeny tiny.
2: Yes, we do occasionally hear in the news, "Oh, there's an asteroid passing by really close." um, You know, a couple times a year, and that will be correct. Yes, it'll come really close in this, you know, uh, solar system scale. Um, Usually, about half of them go not, don't even get within the orbit of the moon. Some of them get within it, uh, but that's still plenty of space um.
1: and the moon is about it for when the apollo astronauts went to the moon it took them four days to get there so if it's not within four days of us it's pretty far away in relation to how we think of s- scale and distance um that actually you did kind of touch on i was about to ask um shooting stars and fireballs in the sky so are they always asteroids and comets
2: yes well 99 point, I don't know how many nines after that, percent of them will be. Um, and indeed, yes, so a lot of the time, it'll just be sort of bits of comets, bits of asteroids that were in the in the tail. So like I said, very small particles. You will get meteor showers from when sort of comets that we have, most of them we know which comet it is now. Um, we go through the orbit of where that comet used to go and there's the comet's, Tail debris left over, and as I said, very small particles. We hit that, and then we have meteor showers, which is higher frequency. On a day-to-day basis, it's you know one here and there, um, every couple of minutes. Depends on how, how dark your night sky is, and um, that's just sort of the general debris, the the uh, zodiacal dust, as we might call it. And actually, the the bits that isn't the ninety-nine point, however many percent, um, those are some other things which can also burn up in the atmosphere. Uh, notably, you know, uh, derelict spacecraft. Or occasionally, you know, when there's an ISS, International Space Station, resupply mission, um, it's a rocket uh, with a capsule that can go up, but the capsule can't land back. So they, and they would usually put trash in there and, you know, poop and things. um, (laughs) My my
0: favourite topic in space, space poo.
2: (laughs) And that'll then burn up in the atmosphere as it comes back and look like a shooting star. Um, And obviously that (laughs) capsule, if, if you think about it, that capsule is usually probably, you know, couple of meters across at least Mm -hmm. and still we are very confident that it will burn up in the atmosphere so meteoroid limit of one meter is very much you know everything under that size will will be um
0: excellent um well i know just having worked in in the planetarium so long people always um ask me this question um and i just want to know what your thoughts are on this rock um what are the chances of actually finding a meteorite in your garden and then as an add-on to that, say, if you did find one, how much would that be worth? Because, you know, money is money talks.
2: <laughs> yes, and for the second part, I did actually have to Google that because you know, I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm not in the, in the business of, of selling any, anyone uh, objects. But um, <laughs> the chances of finding one in your garden are pretty small. So as mm. I said, most of the things hitting us are so small it'll just burn up in the atmosphere. There are very occasional things which come through and you know, actually land, land somewhere. Um, notable case, the Boveda meteorite here in Northern Ireland in 1969. Uh, also, obviously, the famous one is the one that uh, helped kill the dinosaurs uh, mm-hmm. 65 million years ago. But there are other ones in between there. And so they, they would already have to be pretty large objects And most of them will still vanish by friction and sort of burning up in the atmosphere. And then there'll be a small bit remaining. So, for Mm -hmm. example, the um, Chelyabinsk event, which is rather more recent than Tunguska, but also in Russia, or more like western edge of Siberia than than central Siberia. um, The Chelyabinsk meteor was very spectacular to see, but... um, I honestly can't remember if they found a bit of it on the ground at some point. They were definitely looking for it, and it wasn't very easy to find.
0: They did They did find bits. I know the Ulster Museum has a really great um, collection of bits of the Chelyabinx uh, meteorite. Mm. So, But the, again, they are very small. Like, it wasn't... Yeah. I mean, it exploded, I think, about 29 kilometers above the Earth. So
2: Exactly. Which, exactly. by yeah. some of the divisions, you know, is still the atmosphere, but it's all actually quite thin already. Mm. Um and as, as you actually point out, yes, there are many bits. And similarly for the Bovidi meteorite, also several bits um, mm-hmm. that were frag- fragmented. So when you have an object like that, you will have several bits um, that might be found in someone's back garden, as indeed had happened um, for mm-hmm.
1: Um
2: or indeed, near a police station, coming on through the roof. Um, yes, <laughs> and I believe <laughs> there's someone
0: a- listening. That was Sprucefield.
2: <laughs> yes, correct. And I believe there's a story from Stammer in the States, and I do not remember where that is, of also going through someone's, uh, you know, residential home, and um, yes, sort of through the roof, and then hitting the TV, and then bouncing off that into someone's sort of side. But because of that, they yes. had lost all- most of the speed. They only got a sort of a big bruise uh, rather than any actual damage. Um, I think it was is, either
0: Arizona or Alabama or something. It was a big, it was in the 50s. So it was like the, a big old radio or something. Yeah, so massive bruise.
2: <laughs> but it was just a bruise, you know, despite it yeah. coming, a rock from space hitting um, the, the lady, I believe. And yeah. yeah, so this is so rare that like we know that couple of times when it's happened. Uh, of course, the other side of this is Earth is 70% covered with water. So a lot of the time you won't find anything. Um, and it actually helps if your back garden happens to be Antarctica because um, <laughs> that turns out to be a good place to look for meteors because everything else is white. Um, so, uh, and even if there is a bit of snow that might cover the meteor, the sun will melt it more readily over it because it's usually probably darker than white. Um, so it's actually relatively easy to spot. Um, and that's been actually the most prolific area, um, area of the Earth that we found. Lots of little bits, bits of space
0: excellent brilliant i mean i would love to find one but uh say rock if you did find one would you sell it
2: i was was my my o over there was for i didn't answer the second bit for how much it would sell for yes so so the internet tells me um that you might for a good specimen uh get from sort of 30 pounds per gram up to for really good ones which are uh if, if you know your meteorite actually came from the moon or the Mar or Mars, which is possible, even though it's really weird to think about how can something that was on Mars come to, to us or on the moon, um, those will get you sort of several hundred pounds per gram. And probably you won't get more than, you know, maybe a couple hundred grams of, of your meteorite uh, unless you get very well, lucky or unlucky, I suppose um, depends on how mm-hmm. you look at it. Um, how big a hole in the garden can you uh, tolerate? Uh, but a lot of the time, the scientists would be much happier if whoever finds them donates them to a scientific institution so that we can analyze them and learn more about space and our place in it. Uh, but sometimes those institutions also sort of buy off these samples.
0: Mm-hmm. But would you keep it? If, say if it was you, would you keep it or would you sell it? <sighs>
2: No, I think I would go the the route that I mentioned earlier. I think I would donate it to some institute mm. that could actually do something useful with it. If I first um, made sure that it is actually of some use, if it's just one of the carbonaceous chondrites that looks very normal or something like that, then i might keep it. Than
1: very good. Well, I do have one final question, and this is arguably the trickiest one. Do you have a favorite asteroid?
2: Ah, well... Well, um, yes. So, of course, my, my favorite asteroid is, is asteroid 10,502 named ARMA-OBS.
1: Oh. oh. Yes.
2: <laughs> or that, that's kind of a joke answer, but there is, a, there is an asteroid called ARMA-OBS after ARMA Observatory. Um, yes. Can you
0: tell us a bit more about that one? Yeah, I didn't know we had that.
2: Oh, we do. We do. We have also a couple of astronomers who have asteroids named after them. Um, but we also have one for Arm Observatory at large. Um, it's uh, a pretty nondescript asteroid. I'll be entirely honest with you. Um,
0: <laughs> Here, it's still named after us. That's the best thing.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It was discovered in 1987 at Mount Palomar, and mm-hmm. it was uh, the, the named after Arm Observatory um, to kind of honour well the heritage of the observatory and particularly of uh, Ernst Ehrich, who was the well, working some of the time here mm-hmm. with us in the Brilliant. second half of the 20th century. Yes, but as a sort of kind of more proper answer, but sort of, in a sense, none of them are proper answers because I, I you know, I, I enjoy several asteroids, but I, no, I wouldn't say any of them are my favorites. I do rather enjoy the Trojans, uh, particularly the Jupiter Trojans, and I'll be for two reasons. First reason, um, well, the name's just great, and I'll get into that a bit more detail later. Uh, the second reason is that... They're just there to remind us that physics is weird because, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so Trojan asteroids, for those of you who don't know, um, are essentially tra- uh, trailing ahead and behind of an object orbiting the sun. So the most famous ones are Jupiter Trojans, but they can also define in the same manner Trojans around the other planets. Um, even Earth has got like one or two Trojans that we found. I think only one actually, and it's probably temporary. So it will go out of that little sweet spot ahead and or behind uh, the planet, where the gravitational interaction so gravitational interaction between the sun, the planet, and the fact that the planet is orbiting the sun um, creates the sweet spots where where objects can be in a mostly stable orbit and. Yes, for, for that, I particularly enjoy the Trojans or indeed the Jupiter Trojans are in two camps of which one is um, the Trojans and the other one is the Greeks because, you know, if you have two camps and you can make the Trojan War happen. And and my favorite part <laughs> of that is that they started naming those after the heroes from from the Iliad and then later they decide, oh, we should probably... Because it looks like there's two camps or two areas where they found and We can say one area is for the Greeks, the other area is for the Trojans, um, but by the time they decided that they had already named uh, Patroclus who is a, a Greek spy in the Trojan uh, camp and uh, Hector who is a Trojan spy in the Greek camp. So those would be my two favorites if I had to really pick the, the spies uh, infiltrating the enemy lines.
0: Oh that's, that's just brilliant. I think that's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, well, um, surprisingly, we've come to the end of today's session. Do you know what? I don't know
1: about you, Courtney, but I could just sit and talk to rock all day. I I could. I I do enjoy talking to rock about rocks. Um, it it is it is quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so guys, thank you so much for tuning in to our um all about asteroids episode for International Asteroid Day. I hope you've gained a lot of information from that. Um, I'm hoping that we can have Dr. Rock back on the podcast again in the future. I mean, anytime, seriously. That was really fun. Um make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Make sure you contact us on all social media platforms as well.
1: Yep. Um, so I think we're going to sign off now. Do you guys think we need some space? Yeah, I think so.
2: Everyone needs space.
0: The Armagh Observatory and Planetarium is a registered charity and part of the Northern Ireland Government Department for Communities. To find out more about AOP, follow us on Facebook, Twitter at Armagh Planet, Instagram at Armagh Planet, YouTube at Armagh Observatory and Planetarium, or check out our website where we host our blog, astronauts, (laughs) www.armagh.space. and the rank